everybody. This is Amber Key, and you're listening to a Bright Idea podcast, a show that sits down with entrepreneurs to hear about the aha moment that launched their businesses. Today, we're joined by our guest, Rajni Rao, the owner and curator of DC-based Jungly Vintage, a colorful and funky vintage pop-up shop that focuses on the 70s, 80s, and 90s vintage. Although she's been thrifting for years, Rajni has owned this business for almost three years. Her racks of clothing are always filled with patterns, bold colors, and accessories that will make you smile. She draws equal parts inspiration from her Indian heritage as she does being a 90s baby who grew up watching the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Since her first pop-up shop on the sidewalk in front of the She Loves Me flower shop in the dead of winter, she's become a regular vendor at a number of vintage markets around D.C. and has even helped organize a few of her own. Rajni, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me, Amber. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I really am. Um, I, I'm feeling really good. It's, um, my full-time job is uh, being a math tutor. And this is kind of a fun time where we're kind of wrapping up the year. And then it's also just like prime vintage pop-up season. So I feel like my head's all over the place, but it's a good balance. That's awesome. And I had no idea that you were a math tutor. I fully expected you to say that uh, that Jungly Vintage was your full time. <laughs> I, I could appreciate that. So actually, Jungly is my second business. My first business is my math tutoring company that I've had for almost like five years now. Um, wow. And that that is for sure one half of my passion. And Jungly got started because the pandemic happened. And I was tutoring a bunch because a lot of parents are really concerned about how their kids were doing with math. Mm -hmm. And so I was really busy with that and I needed a creative outlet because mm -hmm. when you've been talking about fractions for like 10 hours a day, you need something else to think about, I think, no matter how much you love math. And so it had always been like an exciting idea for me to, to try starting a vintage business. And a friend of mine gave me the push I needed and that's like, I've been balancing those two businesses ever since. That's awesome. I want to get into um, a little bit of your background, but first what I really love, um, I've seen it several times on your bio and um, you talk about it a little bit in the content that you put on Instagram, but you grew up watching the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Big time. <laughs> that is so funny to me. I I love the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I just want to, I'm curious, um, what parts of the Fresh Prince gave you the most inspiration and what did that show mean to you? Oh my gosh, that's such a fun question. Um, so I, I'm a youngest, younger sibling. And so I, like most younger siblings, I just watched whatever my brother watched. And so he was the controller of the remote. And so he loved the Fresh Prince. And so of course I wanted to do whatever my brother was doing. So it was kind of the time that we spent together watching TV. Usually secretly, we weren't supposed to be watching TV, but we'd watch it together. Um, and I think the comedy of it and just like how they tackled serious issues with fun, humorous bits, I think has always stuck with me. And then in addition, every character had such unique personal style. And I don't know if I thought about it as much when I was younger, but like later I thought like, oh, Aunt Viv is so iconic. Like Hillary's style is so her. Even Uncle Phil has his own style, you know? And, I, and, I, and it's 90s done differently. And I have taken a lot of inspiration in my curation from that. I really love that. I I personally uh, really resonate with with Hillary's style. I <laughs> I love to draw pieces of her style, even with the hair. I I love to um, 
no, but she was one of my favorite characters. So I really think that, that that's a cool inspiration for Jungly. Um, I want to, you talked a little bit about your background, but if you could give us kind of like a little glimpse in like your childhood and how you grew up um, and talk to us a little bit about, yeah, growing up and um, what sort of led you to starting thrifting. Yeah. Um, so I, I am so grateful for the childhood that I experienced. My parents are Indian immigrants. They have been in the U.S. for a long time. And I fully believe that they wanted to give my brother and I the best of both worlds. And I commend them so much for what they offered us. Like, I, I really, truly, my parents mean so much to me. And they did us such a good job of, like, signing us up for, like, American things, right? Which I guess is so funny to say, but, like, we took, you know soccer I guess it's not soccer lessons but like we were on soccer teams right like we did piano lessons like things that my parents did not grow up doing and then they also took us to India every other year they like saved up to be able to take us and they my mother dragged me to Indian singing lessons like and she was like you may not appreciate this now but like you this will connect you with your culture in a way that you don't realize and she was so right about those things you know like just always making me feel like I could claim both parts of my identity. How would your parents describe you growing up? <laughs> Wild child. So actually that's the name of the name of my shop is from what my mother used to call me. So jungly is what your Indian mother calls you when you're badly behaved or when you don't brush your hair or when you eat with your left hand, that's like a big no-no in Indian culture. <laughs> anyway, um, but that, yeah, so that, that's, I definitely was like a very opinionated kid. My mom said that apparently I used to stand outside the preschool and just like ask people really invasive questions like, what religion are you? And like, what language do you, I was just like very into asking people whatever was on my mind and like being curious and I think like some of that wild energy, I think at times like took them aback because I would probably say the things I was not supposed to say or just like didn't always have that propriety that I probably should have had. But my dad has always said like, we knew you had that spirit in you and we never wanted to crush it either. So it was always a balance of, you know, fostering the spirit, but you know, teaching social norms. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, I love that. And I guess my question was going to be like, was jungly used as a negative term or did, or was it sort of like a form of endearment? It seems like you've turned it into <laughs> an endearing word, but I, I was just curious, like, what was that like growing up? Yeah, that's so funny. Um, it's definitely become an endearing word for sure. And it, it's always fun when I'm, I'm selling and every so often an Indian American customer will come up and they'll be like, oh, my mom used to call me that too in the moment it was definitely like it was it was said in like a get your act together you know like your hair's all over your face like fix that you jungly kind of thing <laughs> i love That's that funny. um and so did when you went to college so you went through high school you went through college and what did you study in school great question so i so high school in particular <clears throat> i went to a math and science school where I felt very out of place. I loved to sing and I loved to do musical theater and I loved taking Spanish classes. And so I think like sometimes I felt very, for lack of a better word, out of place. 
Um, and at times I actually just, I think that my lowest points, I think I actually felt stupid. Like I felt like I did not belong at the school where there were a lot of other kids who loved math and science and really seemed like they knew what they were doing. I went to college. I ended up studying religion and philosophy, um, which was really interesting. And I met so many different walks of life, like people from different places and different political views and religious views. And I think it was really eye-opening. But in college is where I actually found my passion for not only thrifting, but also working with kids. Like that was a big part of what I did with in terms of volunteering and studying. And so by the time I left college, I actually knew I wanted to be a teacher. That's what I knew I wanted to do. And so I, I because I hadn't studied education, I did Teach for America and I taught for two years in Sacramento, California. It was an amazing, wild experience. And I taught middle school math there and in DC for another two years after that. Um, and I, I think a big reason that I wanted to teach math was I remember at times, even as a kid who was like probably better at math than some other kids, like I, math still man managed to make me feel stupid. Like, and I wanted to take what I knew and try to find a way to help kids not feel stupid. That was like a big, a big thing for me and to not be so afraid of math. So at the same time where I was like learning to work with kids, um, there used to be a thrift store. I went to school in, in Charlottesville at the University of Virginia, and there was a thrift store there. It was called, um, it was called, oh, I'm forgetting the name now. I want to, I want to say it was like twice as nice or something. It was like a cute pun. And I used to come back from my job and I would stop by every day and every day there was something new and it was really affordable. And I remember always it was like an it was just cheap enough that you know I could I could pick it up without thinking too much and that's when I really started experimenting with my style and then later in college I remember visiting my brother who was living in Boston the Fresh Prince brother and he was like I got to take you to this place and he took me to a place where you could buy clothing that was secondhand in bulk wow. and it was like I had a religious experience I was like, this is, this is addictive. Like picking for stuff, weighing it. It's so cheap. I was like, oh my God, I'm done. And I think ever since then, I've just been hooked to treasure hunting as I call it. Do you remember what your first, the first thing you've ever thr thrifted? Oh, that's a great question, Amber. I don't think I do. <laughs> I don't remember the first thing. I remember like things that I like, like that I found that I, remember just like being show-stopping moments for me. Like I remember it occurred to me that I didn't have to buy things new for the first time where like I, there used to be this, this crazy um, event in Charlottesville called Foxfields where everybody dresses up. They probably are imbibing more things than they should. And they go to a, like an equestrian event. It's like a horse race sort of thing. And they, they're going for the day and everybody wears these ridiculous hats and dresses. And I remember wanting to go and I thrifted my dress for that. And I, I just remember feeling like, I was like, wow, my dress like looks so different. It's so unique. It was like, had stripes and puff sleeves. And I remember being so proud of that dress that I thrifted. So you didn't start thrifting until you were in college? Yeah, not, not really. That was, that was really the big thing. And in fact, I was just talking about like the, the concept of thrifting actually is not as well received in other parts of the world. That's what my mom and I were discussing. So a lot of Indian folks, especially 
my mom was saying like when we were growing up it didn't it wasn't a financial thing it was just like the concept of thrifting and wearing someone else's clothes and not knowing like who had worn them or you know what diseases you could get and like that's sort of the mentality around that stuff mm-hmm. and so my mom was like this is very new to us that you go to a store and you buy stuff that was someone else's that you have no no clue about where it came from yeah and you're comfortable wearing it and I, I thought that was like helpful for me to remember, like for a lot of people in other places, like it's not, it's not a common concept, you know, and it's not, it doesn't have to do with finances necessarily. It's a cultural thing, but they've, they've come a long way in terms of accepting it. Now my parents go thrifting without me. It's very cool. And so can you tell us, um, what was sort of the aha moment that led you to pull the trigger and start your own vintage secondhand clothing business? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I have drawn a lot of inspiration from other vintage businesses out there. And so I think I'd been looking for a long time and always in admiration of other businesses and like, wow, they have their own personal style. There's a way that they are curating vintage and secondhand pieces so that it's almost the same boutique experience of shopping new, but they are still they still have that angle of sustainability and they're still kind of able to blend those two things, the old and the new so seamlessly. So that's always been an inspiration for me. And then I think during COVID when I was working nonstop and really missing a creative outlet, I shared with a friend of mine, we were having one of those outdoor COVID dates, you know, where like the only time you could see your friends was like when you sat 10 feet apart, you're Absolutely. like sitting in the park. Yes. And <laughs> she was kind of daydreaming about what she would do if she could. And she was sharing like her dreams and it, it just kind of slipped out. Like it was like one of those things where sometimes your friend makes you feel comfortable and vulnerable enough that yeah. you share something that you didn't realize you'd been wanting for so long. And I was like, I just really want to have a vintage shop one day. And she was like, wait, but like, she was like, mine is like theater related. Like that's not going to happen for a couple of years. It's COVID. Like mm-hmm. you should go do that. And it's sort of like, went from there she she literally held my hand my friend her name's emma she owns um lady farmer which is like a her own sustainable um really cool business so emma and her mom yeah own lady farmer and so she had already had a lot of experience with social media and like getting a business started in that way and she was like rajin it's not that hard like i will teach you how to do instagram okay because i knew nothing i knew zero um and so she's held my hand and she was like this are you gonna take photos and like really help me do that part and i think sometimes when you have an idea and you want to start a business if you just have that friend who can give you that nudge who has that experience it makes all the difference in the world you would never know that you had no idea about instagram because i actually (laughs) found you on tiktok my friend i was i my one of my friends Um, and I love thrifting. Like that's like our thing. That's, I think that's how we became friends initially. And so she she sent me, um, a pop-up that you were having on TikTok. And she was like, there's a, there's a pop-up that's happening right around the corner from where you live. Like I live in DuPont and, um, and I watched it and you were like trying on all these outfits. And I was like, uh, I'm going, (laughs) like, I have to go. I don't care what I have planned this weekend. Like I'm going to that. Um, and so your friend, Emma is, it should be applauded because she did, if she, if you're saying she held your hand through the whole process, she did her job. <laughs> you're great. Um, oh, well, I had, I had a lot of help. Like yeah. if, if I could, I 
like there are the number of people who have offered me advice and like literally their hours of time to help my business. Like I, I am so deeply grateful for my village of people. My sister-in-law owns a boutique in Fredericksburg called Phosphine Studio, which is this incredible vintage and sustainable fashion shop. And she helped me learn an entire inventory system. I had no idea what I was doing. My friend Dina, who lives in Ohio and does thrifting online, she also helped me like lose my fear about doing social media also. Like, yeah, um, yeah, just had a lot of help. It's no, awesome. no, that's awesome. And we all know, um, you know, for the listeners that are interested in entrepreneurship or starting their own business, it's bigger than just marketing yourself on social media. But can you take us through sort of the pro the steps and the processes like you, you briefly just talked about inventory, like what, what are the steps that would go into creating, uh, you know, jungly vintage? Yeah. Um, I love this question. This is the stuff that I nerd out about all the time. I really love to share any mistakes that I've made. If I can save people the heartbreak, I really try to. Um, so the first thing when you're starting any business, and especially I think if it's fashion related, is you have to figure out what your point of view is. Because when you're curating secondhand, you are, you are taking essentially what someone could maybe do on their own and you are making it easier for them. So I always say like, what's your style? What's your vibe? Like, what are you doing that's different than say it like a thrift store where you can find everything all at once. And once you have that, then you want to source and curate your pieces with that vision of your business in mind, which can be really tough, especially for a lot of people who own vintage businesses, they are like ace pro thrifters. And so you could, a lot of people will say like, I go to a thrift store and I can pick out every single silk piece. I can pick out every good quality piece. And so I always tell them the challenge is you might be able to pick that up, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to fit the aesthetic of your business. And that's, that's what's tricky. Um, and so that, that's the first thing is like, what's your point of view? What is, what is your, your product, so to speak? And then from there, I think it's figuring out how to organize everything, which I think the more creative you are can be actually a really big challenge because if you have not worked retail or been in retail, I think it's such a foreign concept of like, okay, how do I keep track of what I'm bringing in? Because I'm just like picking up stuff wherever. And then how do I document how much it costs? And then I'm cleaning it. So like, how am I also like putting that cost in there? And then what is the price that makes the most sense? And at the end of the day, was this a good choice? of the kind of piece that someone would pick up. And so you're making all of those decisions and you have to document all of that along the way. So the cool thing that I'm learning is there's so many things um, or like so many online resources that are really solid for that kind of thing. And it can, it can be tricky to figure out which resources are worth your money. And that's where I think talking to people who are more, um, more experienced than you can be really helpful. Where are you finding some of your pieces? And how are you, um, you know, organizing in terms of like sizes and, and different, yes. yeah, all of those kind of nuances that you wouldn't even think about? Yeah, for sure. Um, I find my pieces everywhere. I think that I'm so glad that this is something I love to do. And this is a passion because when I tell people I am looking for pieces all the time, like I truly am either on the road driving places looking for stuff, like almost three or four times a week. And then I am like online sourcing stuff as well. 
like all the time. I think the way that people scroll on Instagram, like I will scroll on eBay and every other secondhand platform I can find to, again, try to find pieces that fit what I would have like an ideal wardrobe or rather what would, pieces that would fit into what my mind would be like the perfect vintage wardrobe. Yeah. So I think now that I have the key of like, okay, what what would I want? The first step is I always try to find it in person. It's just fun to source in person. And also you can like inspect the flaws and make sure you're getting like the best, I don't know, the, the whole context of the piece. But sometimes I'm like, I think I know what I want and I think it exists out in the world. And I will, I will look for it online until I find it. Um, oh obsessively <laughs> how far are you traveling to find some of your unique pieces oh good question so I try to pair it with whenever we're out of town so if we are for example I have two really good friends who live in Ohio and for anybody who wants to know Ohio is like the land of vintage it is like if you want to find great vintage like that's that's that state should be number one on your list <laughs> so that's a no yeah so we went to visit our friend and then they know, they're like, great, we're just gonna leave Rajni for five hours. She's gonna go find stuff. We'll join her whenever we want, but we'll leave, you know, we, we don't wanna stay for the whole five hour shabam. And then, yeah. you know, I'll meet them up for dinner or something after. Yeah. Such so, a titan. I, I love that you said that Ohio is a great place for um, vintage. I grew up in Pittsburgh, which is also a really Ooh. awesome place for vintage as well. And same with, Richmond. And I find that like uh, what all of those places kind of have in common or they're like, um, they're, they're smaller towns and they're also, well, Ohio's a state, but there's several smaller time towns. In Ohio. Yes. <laughs> and also there's like this kind of like gritty, like hipster, um, background in, in all of those places. I find that DC is very hard to find vintage clothing. And I, I don't know if that it has been the case for you. Um, but if you could speak to that, if that has yeah. been your experience. Absolutely. Um, it has been really challenging and uh, there's a few reasons for that. You know, like the first is they're just, I mean, this, these are just facts. There just aren't that many thrift stores in the DC, like in DC as a city. I think I can name them on my hands and that that already is is a challenge. So if you don't have a car, it's really hard to thrift in DC because you have to go. You really have to go out to Northern Virginia, or you have to go to Maryland, or like somewhere else, mm -hmm. in order to be able to find the thrift stores. And then the second thing is, and and this is actually why I think pop up culture has become so big, is there are some really great vintage brick and mortar shops in DC. But if you have been to other cities, you know that there are so many more by concentration in other cities. Mm -hmm. Like if you go to Baltimore, there are like 10 on a block, you know, and like nothing like that really exists in DC. And I, there, there's probably a lot of reasons for that, that are like beyond what I understand and know, but it, it's just, it's just true. Like there just aren't that many. And so thank goodness for like Meeps and some of the, you know, the, what is it? Um, I want to say it's joint custody. Mm -hmm. I'm going to joint custody. Like some of these people have been holding it down and they are the brick and mortar, like heart heart and soul of dc and like thank goodness for them i think we all are just itching for more i wish we had you know what baltimore has sometimes or even like richmond for that matter i mean richmond is one of my favorite places for vintage shopping for yeah. sure yeah um, i lived in richmond for three years and i only thrifted like that's all that's yes, all it's incredible and every vintage shop is so different and has like such unique 
point of view while still being pretty affordable. It's amazing. Yes, yes yeah. absolutely. I want to switch gears a little bit talking about growing and scaling your business. So where did you find the funding for Jungly Vintage? Um, and how are you growing your funding in order to sustain Jungly Vintage? Yeah, that's a great question. So actually, because I was very fortunate because this was my second business, that I started it as a hobby. And so I think my advice to people who are starting a business, it actually doesn't matter how much money you set aside to start, but set aside money that you're okay saying bye to is what I say. Call it like, call it like your little, I I was told I should not use the word honeypot, but maybe you can tell me, but I was like, basically you have your, (laughs) you have your, like you've set aside your starting funds, whatever it is. I tell people it could be 50 bucks. It could be 200 bucks. It could be a thousand bucks, whatever you feel comfortable with. And that's how much money you start your business with. And then every time you make money, you put it back into the business. Do not put it back into your personal account. It goes back into the business. And then over time, as you expand and do more events, as you get your name out there and people know that you exist, you now have more money to pull from and you can decide how to use your money differently. Maybe now you have enough money where you can get custom bags or you can get you know swag or stickers or grow your inventory, whatever it is, but you have choices and you don't have to feel guilty about using that money because that money started in the honeypot to begin with. It's not your personal money that comes out of it. That's my advice to anybody who's starting a side business. I really love that advice. And I really, that's something that, um, and a piece of advice that I haven't heard before when we talk about like finances or financial, financial literacy, which is a whole different, uh, topic, but um, especially for side hustles, it's very easy to kind of lump all of your money into your personal money. And then, yep. and you lose track of it that way to really, to be honest. And so I, I really think that's a great piece of advice. Um, I, you, you talked about this a little bit and I'm so glad that you did. Cause I, when I was thinking about questions to ask you, I was like, I, wonder, I really want to know her take on this. So, um, I'm just going to go through some statistics real quick. Yeah. So thrifting in the past, as you mentioned, um, was known for being inexpensive for people, or sometimes it was, you know, that was all people could afford was to to go buy secondhand clothing, but it's really grown in popularity. And so we've seen an increase, what used to be, as you mentioned, shopping in Richmond and in Ohio and some of these other places that have like so many thrift stores, it used to be affordable. And now as we see this popularity in vintage clothing and buying secondhand, we're seeing the prices increase. Um, How do you decide how to price your clothing and also making the clothes um, so accessible for all people in all budgets? Yeah, that's such a good question. And it's tricky because there are a lot of, it's tricky. There's a lot of angles to that, to that what I guess I guess I would say conflict, right? There there is a conflict, which is how do you make thri- keep thrifting accessible for everybody who needs it, and also how do we keep encouraging people to want to continue shopping sustainably and make it cool, right? Because like that's the other part. Like I was talking with my mother in law, and she was like, "It was not cool to thrift back in the day." She's like, "Of course we did it out of necessity, but like you didn't advertise that your dress was." someone else's like there was shame associated with it and so what's tricky is because there's all these 
shops coming out that are, you know, showcasing like, look at this secondhand item that is cool. You are going to pay for the coolness. That's part of it, right? And so, yeah, I mean, you, you've got me thinking. Um, so there's a few things. I think, personally, I try to do it all. So I thrift most of my wardrobe, like almost everything I wear is secondhand. And so there are certain things that I will buy at the thrift store because I know it's going to cost me like $2.99. Like I, I don't think I've ever bought a white button down that's been more than $5. Like I just won't do it because I know I can find it pretty easily at just about any thrift store. And then the second piece is I also love to shop boutique vintage stores because I love that someone has taken the trouble to do the thrifting for me. Usually it's in like really good quality. They've like found a piece that I, I'm not convinced I would have found myself. I might tell myself like, oh, I could have found it. It's like, no, I don't think so. I think they found it and I'm lucky that they found it for me and I want it. <laughs> and so that, that happens too. And then the last one, and this isn't quite like, I would say there's like boutique vintage stores in the, in the, in like, when I say that it's more like some of the curated vintage shops that you'll see, whether that's in Baltimore, pop-up shops in DC, Richmond, wherever. And then there's a third category of things that are just really, really, really hard to find. Like they're actually just rare items. And I think that's something else that people forget. It's like, you go to a vintage shop and you find like a Nicole Miller silk vegetable dress. Like there are not many, many of those around. So like you, I think knowing the brands and knowing which ones are worth spending money for and which ones are probably available at the thrift store is something that everybody can arm themselves with so that you just know what you're buying. Like, I think the, the thing that I would always feel guilty about is I would see occasionally, you know, on Depop or online, you'll see people posting Y2K vintage and you look carefully and it's like wet seal. Oh God. And no. you're just like, come <laughs> on. Like, I want to be like, whoever's buying this, like, please let me educate you. Like wet seal is not worth $75 or whatever it is, you know, like that this person is selling it for. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but it's like, I think educating people about labels is so helpful yeah. for that. So that also when you go to a vintage pop-up shop, you can tell when someone's being honest with you. A lot of the times the vintage shops you'll go to, if they're pricing it a little bit higher and you say, Hey, could you tell me a little bit about this label? They probably can. And then you'll know why it is that that's being priced what it is. I love that. I, um, I found a few statistics that I thought were pretty fun. And since you're a math girl, I think you would like this too. <laughs> <laughs> so in my research, so I, um, according to Bloomberg technology, the secondhand market is projected to double in the next five years, reaching $77 billion and 33 million people bought secondhand apparel for the first time in 2020, which I think is like, I thought that was kind of absurd. That's surprising. They were missing out. I, they were missing out <laughs> yes. prior to 2020. <laughs> Welcome. We're happy well, to have you. We are happy to have you. Um, I'm curious, do you think that this is just a, a trend? Um, and also, in uh, my next question is, um, why do you think so many people are interested in thrifting now? Yeah, that's such a good question. It is interesting to me that it's taken on such a life, the of like secondhand shopping. And I'm so happy about that. I am hopeful that people 
are just shopping more intentionally, whether that is secondhand or when they purchase new stuff, thinking about what's going to happen to it. Um, I am curious about a couple of things. The first is I do think more than ever when I talk to folks who are younger, I'm, I'm 31, right? I'm 31. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's that they dreamt I'm just kind of lost track. Okay. So <laughs> like somewhere in there, <laughs> but when I talk to folks who are younger, they are so in like environmentally conscious and they just care so much about larger causes other than themselves. And I think it's something I really admire about Gen Z. And I think for that reason, secondhand shopping is so in line with their, a lot of the principles and values that I see that age group demonstrating, which I think is so cool. And then in addition, this is like less principled maybe, but I think there is just fatigue around feeling like you have to keep up all the time um, of keeping up with trends because the trend cycle, cycle is changing so often. Like it's it's just insane, especially with um, social media. Like every every month there's like new trends to keep up with. And so I think with that exhaustion, um, and I'm not the first person to have come up with this opinion. It's just something that resonated with me. I think people are tired of having to keep up. And so that has led to people really investing in their personal style and thrifting is such an economic way to do that. And also just, it's nice to not own the same thing as everybody else. Like, I think it's, it feels really good to have a dress and someone's like, where'd you get that? And you're like, who knows? Belong to someone's grandma, don't know. But like, it's you and it's, if you feel like it's just yours. And that is sorely lacking, I think, when so much fashion is mass produced. You kind of lose that identity piece. Do you think that this is just a trend or do you think that secondhand clothing is here to stay? I'm, I think it's here to stay. What I'm really curious about, because we haven't seen a, a sudden stop in production of new pieces. So I, I do think what might change over time is just more donation programs or just fashion that incorporates, you know, fabrics and textiles that were previously loved. Um, and then I just think we're going to continue to see a big push from consumers to say, hey, we really, really want pieces that are high quality and, and might last multiple generations. Like, wouldn't that be nice? I'm curious mm -hmm. if that push is going to continue. Fashion has a huge waste problem. Like over, uh, this is something else that I was reading, but and this could be higher, but over 75% of our unused clothing ends up in landfills. So while secondhand clothing is growing in popularity, popularity, so is fast fashion, to your point, from sites like Shein, uh, where you can have like millions of items to choose from and it's delivered at your house in five days. And these items are some of the most detrimental to our environment. Um, can you talk to us about how good resale is for the environment and how jungly vintage give um, gives clothing a second life? Yeah, for sure. Um, I it is it is it is so wonderful to shop secondhand for that reason because a lot of the fabrics that are being used just will not get reworn the same way. They pill a lot faster. They get torn up a lot faster. Um, I'm no expert in this field, but I've heard some of those same statistics that you were sharing. And it's just like such a little way that you can help is like just being able to, you know, 
shop more sustainably and, and to shop secondhand. The, the thought that comes to mind for me sometimes, and this is something that I, that I really focus on, I, I think it's really tricky sometimes, the balance of fast fashion. I am not one to, how do I put this? My, here's where I, I have trouble. I work really hard to try to find vintage labels. It's like a big part of what I try to offer because to me, I'm like, listen, I understand. I also thrift. And so if you can find it at the thrift store and I think that you would be able to find it pretty easily, that's probably not what's going to be on my rack because mm -hmm. I, I understand that if you're a thrifter, you would not buy it from me. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, the exception that I will make about purchasing either fast fashion or modern fashion to put on my rack is when it's a plus size piece. And I realize it's because there is not enough offering at the moment for extended sizes and that really bothers me. And so one of the exceptions I will make when curating vintage is I will purchase modern and secondhand pieces that might be fast fashion in sizes. That's a big, that's a big thing that I, I try to do. Um, and so the reason I say that is I think we sometimes have a losing, we sometimes miss the point when we're like, fast fashion's terrible. And, it, and like, you know, we, we need to get rid of it all together. I'm like, yes, I agree. We also need to make sure that every single size is, you know, offered. Mm -hmm. And so whether that's in a vintage shop, just like working to try and find pieces that everybody gets to have, or if it's a new store and they are making new clothing with great fabric, just making sure we're also thinking about every size. Because for a long time, fast fashion companies were like the only people who were offering extended sizes. And so I think that's that's the other piece that we have to balance of like thinking through this really hard problem. What are some of the unique items that people can find um, with jungly fashion or yeah. jungly vintage? I, my apologies. Yeah, good question. Um, so I try to offer um, as many funky patterns as I can find. That's like a really, really big one for me. Um, and so I love just like silks that have like vegetables on them or equestrian two-piece sets. And I just try to offer things that I love from other decades that I think would wear really well right now in this day and age. Love that. For someone who's never thrifted, the experience can be a little daunting. Like if you go into um, a thrift store, it's kind of like you're going on a treasure hunt. So do you have any advice for someone stepping into thrifting for the first time? Yes, absolutely. So there's a couple of things you can do to make the experience much less overwhelming. The first is I actually recommend going to like a church thrift store or like a hospital thrift store. There's like smaller ones that aren't a unique or they aren't, you know, a big boy thrift store. And I think sometimes like start small. Don't necessarily start with like the biggest thrift store out there. And then the, the second thing is familiarize yourself with certain fabrics, like familiar, familiarize yourself with like what cotton feels like, what silk feels like. It sounds so bougie, but like, you know, like touch the fabrics, like kind of get to get, get familiar with it. Because then when you're touching the racks, you don't necessarily have to pick out everything in the rack. You can kind of go by, by feel Ooh. and pick out the pieces that you want. Similarly, focus on the colors that you actually like to wear. And the same thing, only pull out the stuff that's kind of in that category. Wow. I, I, 
I've been thrifting my whole life and I've never thought of that. Like feeling things before. I just like go for the colors. That's so cool. No, I love that. That's helpful, you know, because you know what you like to wear. And then, you know, you maybe for me, it's like there's certain colors that I don't wear. So I won't I won't pull those out. Mm -hmm. Someone who is trying to get in, trying to change up their, their style a bit. Um, they may have like sort of like a conservative monochromatic style and they want to jump into what Jungly has to offer. What is sort of like the beginner item that you would recommend instead of going full in? <laughs> so funny. Um, that's a great question too. Um, so I think there's a few ways you could do it. One way is to start with an accessory, actually, because like if you have a really defined personal style, like that's great. Like my sister-in-law and I have could our palettes could not be more different. But I look at everything she wears and it is so her and it is so put together. I mean, I wear like kooky rainbow, crazy cloud print stuff and she's wearing the chic, the most chic, like, you know, buttery neutrals and blacks. Mm-hmm. And so what what i what i always recommend is like stay true to who you are accessories are such an easy way to mess around it could be a brooch it could be a purse you know it could be a scarf but just like something small like dip your toe in mm-hmm. and then if you want to try the next level i would say maybe try a pattern that's in the same color scheme as what you're used to so rather than going for a different color maybe try a different print like maybe a black a silk blouse that has a little something going on or a pair of p- pants that have a pattern, something, something new. Yeah. And then from there, maybe pick one or two new colors to try that you feel comfortable. The colors that you've, you've tried in the past that you're like, I kind of like how that looks on my skin, right? I like, you know, I like how I feel in green, whatever it is. And then again, invest in like one piece, try it out, make sure you can style it at least three different ways and then slowly experiment from there. That is solid advice. What do you think is the biggest challenge you're facing with Jungly Vintage right now? And how are you tackling it? Okay, so there's a few challenges. I would say the first is trying to trying to like be more consistent with offering things online. I am a pop-up girl through and through. I feel like that is my favorite way to interact with my customers. I love the energy of a pop-up. I love allowing people to try things in person. Um, but the reality of the world is we live in an e-commerce world. And so having pieces that can then be available to people who either can't make a pop-up or, and this brings a smile to my face that there are people in other states and other countries who want to purchase pieces from me, making that easy and accessible for them is a, is a big priority for me. So that that's my big summer project actually, is to try to, to really systematize drops and make them really consistent that do you and so you run jungly all by yourself do you have like a social media person or anything just me (laughs) oh my god that's so dope but also i couldn't imagine is it stressful (laughs) is it stressing out that's that's very kind of you to ask i love it i really do i um i forget that it's work and i work most days doing my other business and, but Saturdays are my jungly day. And my husband always reminds me like, you know, you work seven days this week. Right. And I'm like, no, I didn't. Jungly doesn't count. You know, like that's different. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think where I, where I feel like I suffer is, is that consistency because some weeks, like if, if things come up and I'm like, oh no, I don't, I didn't photograph the inventory or 
gosh, like I didn't get my collection ready in time and I also have a pop-up. That's when I, I really feel the, I feel the pinch of not having enough time. Hmm. What's one lesson your job has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in life? Oh my goodness. There's a few, but I would say get advice from everybody. Like start, start cultivating relationships with people who are better than you at what you want to do. It's very important. Like, do not be afraid to be around people who are superior. That is the way you will become superior. And so I, I am deeply grateful. And I say this all the time, but the number of people that have helped me do this business who are superior at the various facets of the things that I've had to do um, has helped me build the business and be much less afraid. So mm -hmm. that's, that's one. The second one is find a mentor. And like, once you trust them, like follow them to the ends of the earth. I think that's the other thing. I am very fortunate. I have a wonderful mentor in my life. She has been instrumental in building both of my businesses and her wisdom has been one of the reasons that I've been able to do any of this stuff. I love that. I I oh, I just got chills because I really do think that it's so easy, I feel like especially on on social media to like we compare ourselves to other business owners. We compare ourselves and just like in everyday life. And like, it just seems that like everyone needs to have like some sort of ego. And so I feel like t taking a step back and like being, having some humility and going to other people who are experts in something that you're trying to get to is so important. And it just helps your, your business grow even further in that way really does like my my mentor her name's christeline petropolis is it it's the coolest greekiest name love it um, she, she's also my voice teacher so i take voice lessons that's like what i do for fun oh, um, i love that and i remember when i first started doing jungly stuff i told you i was instagram illiterate like i knew nothing about instagram and i definitely was very self-conscious about taking photos of myself that's changed a lot because i've had to over mm -hmm. you know record yourself seven million times eventually you don't hate it anymore or at least you tolerate it and i remember I took all these photos and I was like feeling, I was feeling myself. I was like, yeah, model totally. face. I like yes. My friends are like, oh my God, you look so good. I'm like, yeah, I look so good. And I showed her my photos. She was the only one who had the courage to say, Raj, you look really angry in those photos. I'm not sure you're communicating that you like your clothes. <laughs> and I remember initially feeling a little, I was a little crushed because I was mm -hmm. like, oh, I worked on these photos. And I realized after I, I took a hard look at the photos that I showed her and she was totally right. She was a hundred percent right. And I realized like, again, if you don't have someone who's willing to take the risk to give you good advice, you're always going to be stuck. Mm -hmm. And so you have to find a few people that you trust that you're willing to take that feedback from and take it so that you can grow faster and get better faster. It's very important. You are over here dropping gems. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this episode because I, I think that you're really, um, you know, you're talking about some really real things and it's very inspirational. So I really thank you for this. Oh, my pleasure. No, this is awesome. Before I let you go, though, I want to do a rapid fire with you, if that is okay. This is my favorite part of the episode. Okay. So what is your favorite thrifted piece you've ever purchased? Oh, okay. 
there's like five that just flashed before my eyes. Come on, Roger, rapid fire. You're really bad at rapid fire. You can name all five. That's okay. Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> one of them is there was a black Nicole Miller silk blazer and it had vegetables all over it. What? Um, so I sold that one. I miss her sometimes. Um, the second piece would probably be, actually, I think I have it. It's a puffer jacket um, by Escada and it has like Greek goddesses all over it, but it's like a winter puffer jacket. So Stop I love that it. one, as I would keep it. Oh my God. And let's see, third one. This is a recent favorite. I went to Paris with two girlfriends. Speaking of, that's the farthest I've been for thrifting is I went to Paris and I packed an extra suitcase so I could bring stuff back. Oh my God, that's amazing. It, yeah. Did you go to a thrift store? You went to thrift stores out there? Yeah, so I collected ah, some stuff. That was awesome. Jealous. And I finally got myself a 70s, like a, an authentic 70s jumpsuit that is like a psychedelic print ah. all over it. And I've been dreaming of this piece. I finally got myself that piece. That's my favorite thrifted piece. Okay. I love that. Um, what is a, what is a secret tip that you just found out that business owners need to get hip to? Oh, what a good question. This is so silly, but even if it's your passion project, even if it's a side hustle, get a separate credit card, just do it. It's going to make all of your accounting easier. Like it doesn't have to be that complicated. It doesn't have to be like a big, like inventory, blah, blah, blah. Like, if you just like, if you're making earrings and you buy clay all the time, just put the clay on one credit card and that is your business card. And at the end of the year, when it's tax time, you will thank yourself for it. Totally. What is something people should always buy secondhand? White button downs. What's something, what is something people should never buy secondhand? Underwear. Well, oh my God. Say, ah, uh, even that. Can I take it back? Like lingerie is fine. I just mean like, I don't know if I would buy like underwear. Is lingerie the same thing as underwear? Maybe. Can I change my answer? Let's see. Yeah, you can get, you can say anything. I would never buy underwear personally. <laughs> I don't know if I would either. Actually, I'm, I'm going to stick with my answer. I feel like when I say lingerie, like I think like camisoles and like, you know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think underwear, it's like, listen, it's like a $5 three pack. Like just, just do it. Just yeah, it. Just, okay. just go to Target. Fast fashion can take our money for underwear. I, <laughs> I agree. What is an item of clothing everyone should have in their closet right now? A pair of shorts that you love. Shorts? Shorts or a pair of like loose pants. Something Ooh. that you can put on this summer where you don't have to think twice. Just yes. put on. Yeah. And you feel good no matter what. Yeah. Solid. If you could write a book, what would it what would it be about and why? It would probably be a book about probably starting a business and how to how to balance like a, a small business. That's probably what I would write a book about. No, totally. Because like the amount of gems you've dropped in the last 10 minutes, just about like starting in the process, like I'm, I would buy that book tomorrow. So um, yeah, I think that's your next business actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what has been your favorite trend this year? Oh, I love that. My favorite trend. I am obsessed with ballerinas. 
I really am. I've always like, I, I'm not a dancer. Well, I, like I'm not, I never took dance lessons. I've loved dance, but I've always just been obsessed with like the ballet aesthetic. And so when ballet core became a thing with like sheer and tool and like ballet flats, I'm just, I'm here for it. Ah, I love that. I love that ballet flats are making a comeback too. I think they're, I think they're super sweet. They always will be. Yeah. They're just comfortable. And I spent so many years in corporate America, walking in those heels, throwing out my back. So I'm glad. (laughs) I'm glad that we've made a change. (laughs) Uh, So this is super corny, but my last name is Key. So we have Key Takeaways, which is a segment on this show. Um, Cute. What is some advice that you'd give someone wanting to start a vintage clothing business? Such a good question. Um, Like what is, what is your personal style or what is your, what is the point of your shop? Is it that you love bold colors? Is it that you love patterns? Is it that you just want it to be affordable? It doesn't matter, but make sure you have that point of view really clear. Um, And then number two, um, I get this question a lot. And actually every time I get it, I really go out of my way to make sure I, I give that person time either in the form of an email or sometimes it's a phone call. But I get a lot of questions about like, how do I get started with actually like selling stuff? Like I have all the inventory, I like am ready to go. I have an Instagram, now what? And I think that's where you have to get really comfortable with people saying no and just start reaching out to businesses. Like start reaching out to businesses and saying, hey, like I, you know, I have this shop. I really love your shop. Can I rent your sidewalk for the day? And then reach out to businesses that you admire that are complimentary. I think that's key. So like find other vintage owners that have a, maybe a different style than you, but or, you know, similar products that would be willing to pop up with you. And then, then you have a little tribe and then you can pop up together. I mean, that's, those are the two things that I did that I think have paid off so well. Like my first pop-up, I messaged Holly who owns, she loves me, like my, one of my favorite flower shops in DC. And I just said, Hey, can I rent out your sidewalk? And she was like, Hey, I'm having an anniversary party at my shop sure like and it was like the middle of february and i just popped up and that was like it kind of like got it started and then my second pop-up was with um um, james and caitlin who own a plant shop called planter and they started like a little pop-up sort of thing in the middle of covid to help people shop when they couldn't go into stores Mm -hmm. myself and like five other vendors have ever since been very close and we all pop up together we kind of started this little pop-up family that we lean on when you did your first pop-up, how many pieces did you sell or how many pieces did you offer? I had like a rack and a half. Like it was not much. <laughs> okay. Yeah, That's then, encouraging for someone who's starting out. Like how many pieces should you have to start out? Totally. I would suggest maybe like you want to get like maybe two full racks and then maybe a small table. That's, that's plenty. Like I, I had really a rack, maybe a rack of clothing that I spread across two racks, you know? <laughs> make it look full. Yeah. Yeah. You, you just have to get started. I think we, so many people, um, are just afraid of that first step. And I heard, um, someone say this advice and I repeat it to myself often, which is that whatever it is that you want to do, someone much less talented than you is actually doing it. So like, you just need to go do the thing. Amen. (laughs) It's so much more important than any other negative self-talk you are giving yourself. Yeah. What's next for Jungly Vintage? 
Oh, what a great question. My hope is a lot, a lot more pop-ups coming up in the fall. And I've been experimenting with having other models and that's been so much fun. So it's not just my face on my Instagram anymore. And so I think just continuing to make those collections available online and hopefully maybe expand the team with time. So cool. And where can we find you? Thanks for asking. Um, if you want to know about just pop the pop-up community in general, I love to post about vintage events, not just mine, but any vintage events that I know are happening in DC. Check out my TikTok for that. Um, and then, so that's jungly underscore vintage. Uh, yep, jungly underscore vintage. And then for actually shopping with me, um, you can see my newest drops on Instagram. Again, same handle, jungly underscore vintage or check out my website where I try to do drops like at least once a month, but hopefully more often. And that's shopjungly.com. So cool. Thank you so much for talking to us today. What a pleasure, Amber. Thank you. Thank you, Rajni. That's it for this week's episode of A Bright Idea. Tune in each week as we interview entrepreneurs to find out their aha moments that launched their businesses. Today's episode featured Rajni Rao, owner of Jungly Vintage. You can support her business by purchasing her items on shopjungly.com. You can also follow her on Instagram and TikTok at jungly underscore vintage to stay updated on her next pop-up shops. That's Jungly, spelled J-U-N-G-L-I. We're building a community of support here on A Bright Idea, so follow her on Instagram, give her reviews, and tell all your friends. You can listen to A Bright Idea on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Until next time, I'm Amber Key.